Hello and welcome to episode, I think, 29 of Yes OBS, mm-hmm. or the Christmas special 2023. <laughs> my name is Tony and I'm with my very good friend, Mr. Paul Anthony Jones, also known as Haggard Hawks. Indeed. Um, so it's been, what, three years, Paul? I mean, do we address this fact or do we just ignore it and just continue like it never happened? <laughs> well, the four fans that we have have been crying out True. every day. Uh, yeah, for true. a new episode. I mean, they've been banging on my door and everything. <laughs> no, that's just the bailiffs. Oh, yes. Because you don't pay your rent. <laughs> but the bailiffs enjoy this podcast. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Who wouldn't? I think you're right. Best way we just launch straight into it. Yeah, do we tr- pr- provide an excuse for why it's been so long yeah. or not? I mean, I wrote a book. You changed the job. Well, actually, you've had uh, two books published in that time. Have or is I? it three? Oh, is it three books you've actually had published? Oh, I thought it was only one. Oh, no, that was how many Maybe you've it's... sold in the last three. Oh. <laughs> yeah. He's been preparing um. jokes. That's why it's taken so long. It's taken him three years to go with a couple of jokes. I've got so many jokes oh, like that. Oh, my Lord. The, the, what it. I'm a little bit worried about with this is we decided to do a Christmas one, and I've prepped all of this, and we were sat, and you start, started laughing at, at your own jokes that you've written down. <laughs> So I've got no idea what you're going to be doing here. Well, there's no change to how I usually do that anyway. Paul. Yeah, well, true, true. But yeah, well, yeah, we come fighting back with the Christmas special. Exactly. And we're so organised that this is going up after the last Christmas special that we did. So there's like... <laughs> Again, if we keep at this rate, yeah. we'll, we'll reach episode 100 sometime in the 2300s. And it'll just but... be all Christmas specials the whole way. <laughs> if we do want it, yeah. Oh yeah, by the way, this isn't a promise for a new season as no, well, by the way. Yeah. It's like... We are still trying to work out <laughs> how we can fit into each other's schedules. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I blame Paul mostly, but uh, feel well, free. Yeah, I'm very lazy. But anyway, enough about Paul's right. ridiculous schedule these uh, days. Oh, that's right. Okay. Are you ready for the first you know, fact in I, three years? I don't know if I am, but we'll just go for it. Now, I'm going to have to give you some warning on my first fact. Oh, my God. Ooh. If this is about the Romans, I might walk out. Well, there's a link to the ancient Greeks. <laughs> uh, I'll be honest. This is a tenuous link. To Christmas. Oh, here we go. I'll be honest about that. It's about someone called Chris T. Mass. <laughs> no, you're not giving me a chance. <laughs> I'm sorry. To run through this. Basically, I was inspired by animals that live in military machines. <laughs> after the fact from a few years ago when we had a pigeon in a tank. <sighs> oh, dear. And this has, well, how does this connect with Christmas? Animals because, living in machinery. Because it's a reindeer that lived in a submarine. <laughs> So there's your Christmas link. Okay, reindeer. But first, I wanted to set the scene. Right. As that this isn't the first time animals have lived in submarines. Because okay. we're going back to Alexander the Great. Okay. Uh, who apparently, during the siege of Tyre in 332 BC, uh-huh. he had his own glass submarine that he used to scout the ocean floor. This isn't so- true. <laughs> Aristotle wrote this down in his Problematica. So well, this, he, this, he thought wombs floated around bodies. This part is true, is in somebody's written this down. Right, okay. I can't verify the fact, but anyway. Yeah. So basically, Alexander the Great's on the ocean floor. He's looking for a place to build a causeway, like the, the shallowest point to build a causeway to the city of Tyre, because it was okay. entirely surrounded by water. Okay. So he's got this glass submarine. He lowers himself in, mm-hmm. and he brings three animals with him. <laughs> this now, sounds like the setup <laughs> to a joke. <laughs> If you can guess what each of these animals did, oh, I will right, give you okay. a bonus point. So the first animal, he brought a cockerel with him. 
What do you think the cockerel was there to do? To do? In Alexander the Great's submarine. I mean, a cockerel in a submarine. What was it there to this do? This is pretty logical when I give the answer to this one. Is it something to do with keeping the time? Yes. The cockerel was there because it's dark. The cockerel instinctively knows what time it is. So Alexander knows if the cock starts to crow, oh, it's, it's the next morning. I should get back up. But does the cockerel not need the sun to tell what time it is? It doesn't have a no, watch. No, it's, it's, it instinctively knows. Is that, that's not how cockerels work, is it? I thought they watched the sky. Hey, I'm not here to debate what cockerels do or don't know. Okay. That's what he's, he had a job to do and right. he did it admirably. I'm sure. <laughs> so the second animal Alexander the Great brought with him mm-hmm. was a cat. Okay. Now, you probably won't be able to guess this one, Paul. Oh, my But um, apparently, the cat was there to purify the air. Why? How? Because there's limited oxygen in there. Yes. But, and the cat has some sort of powers to act as a rebreather, okay. as, you, as it were. Right. That's... But surely just having that in there just uses up more oxygen. You would think that, but hey. Cats are not... rebreathers. Exactly. Okay. <clears throat> I don't know why. No one ever explained why this cat was used as a rebreather. Intriguing. The third animal he brought was a dog. Mm-hmm. You probably won't get this one either. Mm-hmm. It was used as an emergency resurfacing device. The dog? Yes. So if Alexander the Great got into trouble, killed the dog... And seawater is naturally inclined to expel impurities from a dog's carcass, so the seawater would launch them back to the surface because uh, the sea is dis- is disgusted by this dog. Oh, okay. Well, why did, he didn't have to kill the dog. Well, it has it? to be because the seawater is not disgusted by a living dog; it's disgusted by a, a dead dog, dog. A dead dog. How? Why? How? Again, will you stop questioning why this... I'm trying to say this, this is a true story. This is true, again, yeah, in the sense wrote it down. somebody yeah. wrote this down. But you know what? I'm going to say this probably didn't happen. Yeah, that would make written. more sense. To be honest, the story of the submarine, Aristotle did write about a glass submarine mm-hmm. in his Problematica. Um, but during the medieval era, people embellished the story more and more. It was right. quite popular to tell this story of the animals. Oh, right. Okay. I'm sure there was some sort of religious allegory in there somewhere that I'm yes. not picking up. It's like that thing of like, you've got to get a sack of grey and a goose and a fox across a river or something. It's like that. the Great's got a cockerel, a cat and a dog <laughs> yeah. in a submarine. What are you going to do with them? <laughs> Actually, if you look up, there's lots of really interesting medieval art around this story where they've drawn oh, Alexander really? in his submarine. They look like they're having a great time down there, by the way. I mean, so... you know, I'd have a good time down there with a couple of animals. That'd be cool. <laughs> Exactly. But basically, the whole point of that story was to set the precedent that this isn't unusual to have have animals animals in submarines. submarines. Right. Okay. And the festive link is it's a reindeer. Yes. Okay. I told you it was tenuous. Mm -hmm. I tried my best. Uh, We'll go with it, though. It's fine. Exactly. Reindeers are Christmassy. Right. So the reindeer is called Pollyanna. Of course she is. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) To the Second World War. It is the winter of 1941, Mm -hmm. and the British have started the Arctic convoys to northern Russia. Okay. So they're transporting supplies to the Soviet Union. Mm. Uh, The submarine, HMS Trident, is on one of these supply runs. Mm -hmm. Um, They make a successful run to somewhere in northern Russia. Okay. Um, They drop some supplies off, and while there, the captain apparently complained to a Russian admiral that his wife back home was having trouble 
pushing the pram in the snow. Okay. So the Russian admiral says, what you need is a reindeer to pull the pram for you. Sensible suggestion. So he said, I've got a reindeer here that (laughs) you can have. And you can just take it back home and it'll help you out. Okay. So they try to lower the reindeer in through the hatch, but it wouldn't fit. Okay. Uh, Or they had a lot of trouble getting it through the hatch. I can imagine. Um, So they loaded the reindeer into the submarine through one of the torpedo tubes. (laughs) You know what? (laughs) I knew that that was coming as soon as you said they couldn't get it in the hatch. (laughs) Of course this is... Yes. So Pollyanna is a gift from the Russian Navy to the HMS Trident crew. Okay. So Pollyanna now lives on this submarine. She's having a great time in there. I'm sure she's loving it. They also, the the Russians also gave the British a barrel of moss for Pollyanna to eat. Okay. But they ran out of moss. Mm -hmm. So she then lived on condensed milk and table scraps. When they got home to the UK after... She was enormous. (laughs) She was enormous. She couldn't fit out of the torpedo tube oh, my <laughs> when Lord. they got home. Mm-hmm. So they had to kind of set up like a, a crane, kind of. A crane, okay. some sort of contraption yeah. to pull Pollyanna out through the hatch this time. So she's got her legs sticking she's up in the air. She's more streamlined. She's more streamlined. Like an Leg- acrobat. Yeah, exactly. Legs up in the air. It's like a swan dive, but up. Lovely. So they'd strapped her in because she'd got too fat living on a submarine. Mm-hmm. Also, she was living in the torpedo room as well, by the way. Um, she found this it... is what they didn't go under attack or anything. <laughs> they could have lodged Pollyanna. Well, you know, <laughs> like if she was back the way she came. <laughs> much how much damage she would have done to a ship. Well, it depends how much condensed milk she drank. <laughs> she was quite large by all accounts. Mm-hmm. So if she did hit a ship, she could, it could have been a sink. I mean, you one, know, we never know. So anyway, they get Pollyanna out. Oh, by the way, they docked a Blythe, which is a port... Blythe? Not, yeah, not too far from... For, not too far from here. Exactly, just a few miles up the road yeah, from where we place. So, docked Blythe, they finally managed to get her out, but the captain of HMS Trident said, well, you know, I can't really take a reindeer home. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was donated to London Zoo, where she lived out the rest of the war in peace. <laughs> And that, and that is my fact, Paul. She's still addicted to condensed milk. <laughs> she just got fatter and fatter and fatter. <clears throat> so that's my fact. So from everything about Pollyanna the reindeer living in a submarine, that is my yes or BS. Okay. Did, I, did I make that up? Okay. I mean, you know, it's the premise is ridiculous. Mm. And there are details in there that are unusual and insane the fact that she's called Pollyanna who named her Pollyanna because that's not a Russian name no it might have been well Anna is a Russian oh, Anna name is I don't know Pollyanna, Pollyanna isn't no I don't think so maybe it must have been the British crew right I guess. Okay. I'm guessing uh, <laughs> I mean it's just the idea of this is at the height of the war yeah so this is like 19 winter 1941 Russia has only been in the war for about six months yeah by this point. anything could have happened to that mm. submarine on the return journey that's not exactly a quick trip home <laughs> six weeks six weeks okay so she ate a barrel of moss mm. in six weeks and then enough <laughs> condensed milk and food scraps to balloon in size so so much so that she couldn't fit out the way she got in no that's exactly correct in Paul. six weeks in six weeks she put on that much weight I mean, <laughs> but my What's... spidey senses are beginning to tingle slightly now. I've thought that thought. Mm. Like I say, the entire premise is ridiculous, but everything else is sort of quite neat. Mm. I can imagine that. No, you know what? No, I'm talking myself into this. You know what? 
If you're talking to someone and you go, you know what? It's really snowy back home. My wife can't push the pram. The the the, the automatic solution to that is to not ferry a reindeer from Russia. The solution to that is just to go, well, you know, the weather will break in a couple of days. That's it. That's the end of the conversation. But she really liked walks with the baby. Well, you can get back out there in a couple of days. You'll be fine. Um... No, that that <laughs> I've talked myself out of it. This is BS. You've made this up. The condensed milk and food scraps thing. The fact that then she was so large she, she couldn't get back out. <laughs> Pulled her out in some sort of swan dive harness. <laughs> it's nice that you know I can imagine that it would be like she saw out her days at London Zoo. I can imagine that that's sort of if this turns out to be true. Yeah, that kind of does make sense. Mm. So there are elements of this that are likely, but I think I'm just... No, you've made, you've made this up. Is that I your think. final answer? <laughs> yes, this is BS. Is, this is BS. I can tell you the story of Pollyanna the reindeer is completely true. <laughs> oh, if you go online, you'll find some adorable pictures where she's wearing sailor hats. Oh, <laughs> God. <laughs> She was a beloved mascot for HMS Trident after they'd picked her up. This is in the middle of the war. What if they'd got attacked? This isn't the solution to it being a bit snowy. Apparently, um, there were alerts on the way back. So like the alarm would go off, which panicked her a bit. Uh, she got she would run from end to end apparently when the alarm would go off uh, but she yeah, got because she's a wild animal in a submarine <laughs> she got apparently she got used to it though and oh, like well, she uh, when the alarm fine, when the alarm used went off she would just run under the captain's bed and just take a nap apparently there was no combat action during the journey only alerts so oh okay so they, they didn't actually need the they didn't, room. didn't there was no where a reindeer was the <laughs> room. <laughs> it was another era Paul people, true they, people different did things times. differently but well, you know what See, there you go. There's my heartwarming Christmas adventure that is, of that is Pollyanna the Reindeer. Yeah, I'll give you that one. Thank you. Wow. That's one point to Tony. Oh, no. Let's see what Jones has got. Okay. Well, that was a nice way to start. Thank you. But uh, yeah, I'm instantly on the back foot. Yes. Okay, so sticking with the uh, Christmas theme, this is a fact about St. Nicholas. Uh, So, what do you know about St. Nicholas? Anything? Um, Turkish saint... Oh, Greek. Uh, Oh, of course. He was Byzantine Greek. 3rd, 4th century AD, Bishop Mm. of Myra. He was a really prominent kind of religious figure in his lifetime, a major figure in the kind of early church. So that when he died on the 6th of December, 343 AD, 6th of December is his... Feast day. Mm. It, the, it, it's not. This has now kind of become a really important day in a lot of calendars. There are a lot of countries where the sixth of December is the day that you exchange presents, not Christmas Day, mm. which is uh, still something that they do in the Netherlands, apparently. Oh, yeah. Now, do you know how he got bundled up with the kind of idea that he's actually Father Christmas? I don't actually. I see. I'd not heard of this, but it, it was in in Holland actually. In in Netherlands, Saint Nicholas became Sinterklaas. Mm. And that's become a sort of semi-legendary figure who's sort of benevolent and gives out gifts and Christmas cheer and things. And this idea of Sinterklaas was taken across uh, the Atlantic by Dutch settlers in America and kind of became a bit confused over there with the kind of existing idea of Father Christmas, which is like a Tudor mm. invention. Mm. We've had a, a thing before about, he was called Captain Christmas. At <laughs> yeah, well, I yeah so the, he was a sort of personification <laughs> of Christmas cheer and the two kind of became sort of bundled up together. And then, you know, the, ca- the calendars changed and the sort of dates got muddled up and the date of Christmas became 
kind of confused with his feast day and all the rest of it, which is how we've kind of ended up with Santa Claus. Mm. Uh, so yeah, this is a sort of slightly kind of festive fact, I guess, in the East. This is uh, St. Nicholas that we're talking about. Here's some things. He is the patron saint of brewers. Oh. For a reason that which will... we'll get into in a minute. That'll appeal to you personally, Paul. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, that being said, he's also the patron saint of... Alcoholics, yes. Of, <laughs> of people in loveless marriages. <laughs> Uh, as well as he's hitting um, all your buttons for <laughs> well prostitutes, <laughs> uh, pawnbrokers, and pharmacists. He's literally just listed <laughs> your weekend tasks there, yep, Paul. Yep. <laughs> uh, he's also the patron saint of sailors because he was a, a mariner apparently, and there mm. are lots of miracles of him at sea and all this sort of thing. So, as well as being the patron saint of a lot of countries like Greece and Albania, he's also the patron saint of a lot of port cities. And there are a lot of churches and cathedrals to St. Nicholas, including in Newcastle, actually, St. Nicholas Cathedral. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, um, didn't know that. Uh, so Amsterdam, he's the patron saint of Amsterdam. Liverpool, Aberdeen. Lots of big sort of port cities he's, mm. he's the patron saint of. Um, but yes, uh, this brings me to the crux of my facts about St. Nicholas. Okay, which so is, this is the, the yes or BS well, portion. Well, we're, we're getting there, which uh, is how do you become a saint? Oh... I think we have touched on that. I can't yeah. remember. Uh, one of the things is that you need to have miracle some miracles. Yes. So, would you like some genuine miracles oh, of what right, here we go. St. Nicholas did? Oh, there are lots of sort of normal stories that he apparently calmed a storm and rescued some sailors who mm. were in the middle of the tempest in the Mediterranean Sea. They prayed to him and he appeared mm. in the sky and he helped them bail the ship out and all mm. sorts of things. There is a story that he expelled a demon from a cypress tree Ooh. by hitting it with an axe. <laughs> Surely the, that's The tree, just... that is, not the demon. <laughs> Sure, that's just cutting down the tree. I mean, <laughs> yes, you defeat. <laughs> yes, true. Uh, apparently, there was once a famine in Myra where he was the he was the bishop, and the, there was a ship that carried a lot of grain in the port in the harbour there. Mm. So he went to the captain and said, "Please, can I purchase?" Uh, I'm paraphrasing this story. <laughs> here. Is, this, is this word for word? Ex- <laughs> Hello, captain. Uh, he asked for a hundred barrels of grain, and the captain said, "No, I'm afraid it's all accounted for. Mm. There isn't enough." For anyone else to buy and he went mm. no no let me purchase this and i guarantee you'll have enough grain for the rest of your journey so the captain for some reason said yes <laughs> uh, gave, him 100, gave him 100 barrels of grain uh, and uh, the merchant then carried on the rest of his trip and delivered the rest of his grain and you know what there was none missing so that was one of the other miracles and also um, slightly at the other end of the miracle scale a butcher <laughs> brutally murdered three children <laughs> that was that was a left turn and put their bodies in a salt tub <laughs> to sell their flesh as ham <laughs> <laughs> and the miracle was? The miracle was that Bishop Nicholas brought them back to life. Oh, happy ending. So a happy end. ending at the end of a rather unfestive day. I was going to say, so, happy Christmas, everyone. Um, yeah, I was actually going to make that story because I knew what your reaction would be. I was going to make that the yes of yes. But then while I was reading up on this, this is apparently quite a famous story mm. and you can sometimes see it in stained glass windows. And I would probably have said that was true. So I wouldn't... I'm usually the one who has some sort of brutal fact yes, true. thrown in there. Yeah. But apparently lots of cathedrals that, that are dedicated to St. Nicholas will have a stained glass window of three mm. young children in a tub 
Hmm. And St. Nicholas standing over it. And it's because of these pictures that he's considered the patron saint of brewers. Because he's standing next to a barrel, he's standing hmm. next to a tub, and he's actually got nothing to do with brewery other than that story. <laughs> yeah, so um, oddly enough, St. Nicholas is actually, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miracles hmm. attributed to him. And actually, while I was researching this, there are still websites today where people are going on and, and saying that they prayed to St. Nicholas, you know, like last year and something mm. remarkable happened. So people who are who are religious, full respect to you if you are, but there are people who do believe this stuff. So with that in mind, though, this is... Well, actually, you know, because it's Christmas, <laughs> I'm going to be festive and I'm going to offer some bonus Ooh, points, which I don't think I've ever done before. It's you're usually always, Yeah, you're always the bonus point boy, but because um, <laughs> I don't think the format needs it, but never mind. <laughs> so I have three more miracles, Ooh. Um, and you need to decide whether these are genuine stories, okay. miracle stories attributed to St. Nicholas or not. Mm. So, okay, number one. Uh, St. Nicholas is, is such a powerful figure in the church. This is BS. That <laughs> <laughs> the way you're setting this up. That uh, he was apparently miraculous from the moment of his birth. <laughs> when he was born, uh, his mother was instantly cured of all ills. That's a true one. Mm, I'll okay, give you that one. Okay. But here's the thing. At his baptism, <laughs> this be good. happened a couple of weeks later, presumably, uh, that he was placed in the font, mm. whereupon he instantly despite being basically a newborn instantly stood upright in the water and remained standing for three hours (laughs) Uh, one hour for each of the members of the trinity of course Uh, uh, at his baptism this is oh so is that a true miracle or not the the miraculous standing toddler (laughs) Ooh, my in my gut says bs okay yeah, ooh. yeah, I'm going to go BS. No, okay. no thinking, just go for it. Okay. Yeah, BS? Yes. That is a true story. Oh, what a, why would they just leave him there? <laughs> well, maybe they were in some sort of stupor. That, it was, it was like, a you just leave a, not even a toddler, a newborn baby. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, standing in a font. I don't know what age he was baptised at, but I presume it's pretty early on. But yeah, no, he oh. stood up unsupported for three hours. Well, that's a miracle for you these days, to be I mean, honest, just, Paul. Just in general, let's be honest, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so... Point t- for Paul. Yeah, two more of these. Mm. Uh, okay, he was a lifelong vegetarian. BS. <laughs> and uh, You're dis- projecting yourself onto St. Nicholas now, Paul. <laughs> oh, yeah. What next? Uh, he loves craft beers and <laughs> stupid jumpers. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of myself. I stand up right for three hours. Uh, no, he was a lifelong vegetarian. And someone who uh, served him dinner once didn't realise this. Mm. They served him a roast partridge. <laughs> and he, did, he didn't want to be a, a sort of uncouth house guest. So rather than say, oh, no, no, I can't eat this. What did he do? He, he performed the sign of the cross <laughs> and, the, and the partridge flew out the window. <sighs> oh. Was that true or false? He brought a roast partridge back to life. This is a tough one. I'm going to say, I'm going to say BS again, because I think that's, this is you projecting, you've made a side of the cross on a partridge. Mm-hmm. So BS. That didn't happen? It did not happen. That did happen. That's oh. another true miracle attributed to him. I mean, it must have been a pretty underdone partridge. <laughs> I was going to say, surely the partridge would have no head at this point. That's true, yeah. And would have, been, would have been plucked and gutted as well. But. Plucked and gutted, that's how we're known as. <laughs> Double act. 
Um, okay, so one more of these. Mm. Last one. Uh, there was a local barrel maker. Of course there was. In, <laughs> in Myra, who was going blind. And this was after uh, St. Nicholas's death. So he mm. prayed to the spirit of St. Nicholas so, mm. um, to, to help him in his sort of plight. Uh, and that night, St. Nicholas appeared to him in a dream mm. and said, go outside in the morning. <laughs> Again, paraphrasing. I'm pa- paraphrasing. <laughs> um, go outside in the morning and listen out for a bee. And when you hear those notoriously loud animals, and when you hear the buzzing of a bee, walk towards it. Mm. And so the next morning, the guy wakes up and he's like, oh, you know, I'm going to follow through with this. So he goes outside. What's the first thing he hears? The the buzz, buzz, buzzing of a bee. So he walks towards the bee and the bee leads him around his house three times. Is this the Holy Trinity again? Oh, oh, yeah, maybe it is. And he walks around the house three times. And on the third time, he turns around the corner and he's blinded by sunlight mm. and suddenly his sight is restored. Is that a true story? So what was the significance of it being a bee? I don't know. Couldn't you have just said... I mean, what could, was the significance of the partridge? Just, couldn't you have just said, I'll, I'll cure you in the morning, like you'll wake up and you'll be fine. Why did he have to walk around well, you've got to, maybe you've got to, three times? You've got to make some sort of effort in this exchange. Well, the partridge didn't have to make any effort. He just, he just got a sign of the cross and he was off. Well, that's because he wanted to be a, a gracious house guest. <laughs> Ah, I think this is BS again. Ooh. Unless you've gotten all three true to throw me off. Have I? BS. Oh, BS for that one? Yep. For the blinded barrel maker of Myra? Yes, it's too convoluted. (laughs) It was convoluted because I made it up. (laughs) I knew it. You see? Oh, I thought if I threw that three times, that's what made me not believe it. Because it was. uh, The B B was bad enough anyway. A B. Very that very religious animal. As well, well, I wrote it down and thought, well, I can't just have him walking around the house because he doesn't, he can't see where he's going. <laughs> <laughs> he has to, oh, so he has to follow something. So he's doing echolocation on the bee. Yeah, but he's just listening out for the bee. Well, it didn't happen. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Right, we're moving on. Yeah, we're debating it. <laughs> we're moving but on. No, there, yeah, that, so there you go. There's a two, two true, but that one's no, that one's not true. That score now puts us at two all, Paul. Two all? Oh, yeah. it's, we might as well not have bothered. <laughs> <laughs> we're ending the podcast here. <laughs> See you next time in another three years. So, well done, Paul. Um, mm. An interesting a genuinely Christmas-linked fact. Yeah. Not like my first fact, but... I mean, yeah, it's less tenuous than a reindeer or a submarine. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, that's in the past now. We're yeah. done. Okay. My next fact is proper Christmassy. Okay. It's got Christmas all over it. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't be Christmas without mention of our old friends, the Victorians. Oh, And the Christmas dear. traditions. Okay. It's going to be about Christmas cards. Right. But do you know when the first ever recorded Christmas card was sent. Ooh. Um, I have a weird feeling that I've heard... Is it like um, King James? Yes. It was sent by the physician to the Holy Roman Emperor called Michael Mayer, or or Michael Myers from Halloween. He (laughs) said said King James a Christmas card. So it was in 1611. So Michael Mayer, physician to the Holy Roman Emperor, Mm. he did send a Christmas card in 1611. Um, he didn't get a reply from King James. I don't think he... The king didn't know what it was. Didn't know what no, it was. no one had ever sent one before. Yeah, it was, it was a very heartfelt message. It was a very long message as well. I oh, right. The full thing is like, a greeting on the birthday of the sacred king, blah, 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 joy and love, Merry Christmas. You, you know how Christmas cards generally go. Yes. <laughs> it was just a long version of that. Oh, wow. Essentially. 
But the first commercial Christmas cards, mm. as many people know, were popularized by the Victorians. Mm. Um, so the first ones were introduced in 1843 by a guy oh, called wow. Henry Cole. So who coincidentally happened to be one of the pioneers of the penny post. So mm-hmm. the, one of the main reasons they were popularized because he wanted to sell more stamps. Yes. And make more money. Yes. But the interesting thing about the early Victorian Christmas cards is they didn't really have any of those established images or traditions that we associate with it oh, today. Of course, yeah. So because they're the ones who established them. Mm. So things like a robin, a winter scene mm. with snow dusted fields, all mm. those traditional cards you see today. Yeah. In the very early days, they were working out what the hell do we put on a Christmas card to someone. Yeah, of course. So some of the early examples, I've got some good ones here. Oh my lord. Um we had one card, it had a marching band of frogs. <laughs> Playing a variety of instruments. They're known known for their musical talents, of course. (laughs) Well, maybe they were back then. Someone sent a Christmas card with a painting of a dead robin with no context. And it just said, may yours be a joyful Christmas. With with a dead robin? Yes, dead robin and no other context for it. Why why, why is it dead? Again, no zero context. (laughs) The person who sent this and painted this card up. Wow. No idea. Okay. Um... One of my favourites, there was a giant bug, some kind of praying mantis creature, chasing a child who's holding an umbrella and wearing a fez. <laughs> so that's, I think I said that's what you're getting this year. Wow. Uh, there was cats playing banjos. Again, known, known for their musical ability. Another favourite, four rabbits riding penny farthings, carrying hobo bindles. <laughs> How festive. Oh, this is another one. This is like, they would also have interactive uh, Christmas cards as well. Oh, so you could have things attached to them and you could make a game of it as well. Right. There was one Christmas card. It was titled Ye Christmas Tale, mm-hmm. spelt tail as in a cat's tail. Oh, or, uh, okay. And it had a pipe cleaner glued onto it that you could then use as the cat's tail on the card. Oh, okay. So right. how exciting is that for a child on Christmas? Okay, that's quite a nice idea, I suppose. That's like pin the tail of the donkey. It is, thing. but once you've done it, like you, you're, you're kind of done with that Christmas True. card thing. yeah, the novelty's sort of worn off. And there were also, puns were incredibly popular. So there was one, there was a two turkeys, a Christmas pudding, and a steak, an anthropomorphic steak called sirloin. <laughs> And on this card, it says Sir Loin turns the tables on a would-be chef. And these two turkeys, Sir Loin and a Christmas pudding, are putting a man into the oven instead of the turkeys. Lovely. And it says one good turn deserves another. Who wouldn't love any of these cards? (laughs) Sir Loin. (laughs) I... I spent ages looking through these cards. I just went down a rabbit hole of love for oh, every. I wish we did bring this sort of back. I, I traditional cards are nice, but I, yeah. I, I like off the wall. I mean, there's off the wall, and then there's dead animals. <laughs> that was only one. <laughs> Sir Lloyd's quite funny. Sir Lloyd. Um, some of them were a little dark. Some of them. There was um, a frog stabbing another frog, and stealing a bag that said two thousand pounds. So sort of. Frog armed There's a robbery. Lot of, <laughs> it was a frog armed, armed nas- froggery. <laughs> oh, 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 sorry, Paul. That joke was so terrible. I immediately blanked it. <laughs> you could write these cards. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, you know. New career. Why? Why armed froggery? <laughs> I don't know. 
Why frogs? I don't know. Frogs I mean, disappear in the winter. They don't rob each other. They're not there. <laughs> they don't, they don't ca- rob each they other anyway. They don't carry knives or either. Money. They have no concept of cash. You're ruining Christmas, Paul. <laughs> you've, ru- you've ruined my Christmas in the last 25 years anyway. <laughs> Another good one. Um, this you'll relate to this one. It had a little mini poem on it. <sighs> this that, is never good when you say that. Said, "Fair girl, be warned. When Christmas comes, reject that pudding stuffed with plums." <laughs> and it was a child with a Christmas pudding head, and the head was on fire. And he's pleading for the girl to eat the Christmas pudding, but she won't because she doesn't want to put weight on because it's full of plums. <laughs> <laughs> a common festive complaint. Another favourite. Uh, God, how many of these you got? I've got two more, then my facts. Right, okay. Uh, it's a snowman with what looks like a baseball bat made of snow, and he's got devil horns, and he's ambushing a man in a country lane. Wow. My, what? This is, like, this is like... These are all true, by the way. This is like the purge. <laughs> my last... This is the last true one, and it's probably my favourite, because it, it has two really ugly drunk pigs saying Merry Christmas and I thought you know what that's for me and you Paul yeah, that's, that's <laughs> how we'll end this podcast that's how we're two drug pigs good lord but now that I've set the scene of that's what really happened oh god I have no idea where this is going is this going to be you describing this more is cards going to be, this is oh. describing one card okay this is the this is the fact okay so is this card I'm describing is this a real Victorian Christmas card okay or have I invented this entirely right. So to set the scene, mm-hmm. we have a family of five well-dressed kangaroos. <laughs> they've sat down, <laughs> they've sat down to enjoy Christmas dinner. Mm-hmm. So the mother kangaroo is mm-hmm. bringing out a starter, which is obviously a bowl of soup. But, obviously, but she spilled it on the table, and one of the children asks, or one of the children states, the soup has ran out the saucepan. To which the mother replies, well, of course, there's a leak in it. <sighs> it ends. It ends with Christmas greetings. Uh, so, uh, God. Did that card exist? You know, I'm starting to realise why we've waited three years to do this. <laughs> Um, It'll be 30 years before we get another <laughs> one after that joke. Okay. Um, you know, the first question that's come to my mind is why are they kangaroos? Well, they had all sorts on these cards. It was yeah. literally go wild with your imagination when you were getting these cards, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can imagine that you just can't answer that. I can't. Yeah. No. Okay. I mean... <laughs> I can see this being a genuine Christmas card, but I can also imagine you just looking up bad jokes <laughs> and then concocting this and going, you know what, I'll make them kangaroos. Have you not had a fact before about kangaroos in wintertime? Oh, God, it was that No, it was a platypus. Oh, God, yeah. Persephone, that was the, now, that was, that was BS, Persephone, yeah. the platypus. Oh, that was that, that didn't make a lick of sense. <laughs> um, so the, are you harkening back to that? Hmm... <sighs> Uh, you know, I, my gut is saying that it's not real, but I kind of also think that it is. Um, but that joke, though, I think it's great. That's what makes me think that this is, this might be BS. <laughs> I think you just wanted to shoe on that terrible joke. In. Um, 
No, yeah, I'm just, no, I, it's, this is BS. I think you found that joke and then you've invented this cast of a, a family of kangaroos serving soup. If that's what you think, Paul. How many kangaroos were there on the cover? Five. They so were two well parents dressed. and three joys. Yes. They're known for their multiple births, of course, <laughs> kangaroos. Well, they can have more than one the, child. The pouch is so roomy. There's <laughs> the, the two older ones and the younger oh, ones. Okay. It's, it's it's a full, triplets. It's a functioning family it's a, it's, unit. Exactly. Then. It's right. a nuclear family. It's not okay. crazy triplets. Um, no, this is BS. <laughs> this is so BS. your final answer? I think you found that joke and you've made this up. Final answer? Yes, this is BS. You are correct. <laughs> I did find that joke, and I thought I'd shoehorn it into one of these. Why kangaroos? I thought that would make it more believable. <laughs> I was also thinking, like, how familiar were the Victorians with kangaroos? Well, there actually were some cars that had kangaroos on. That's oh, where really? I got the idea from. Oh, I think they my were. Lord. I think they were gold mining kangaroos, though. Oh, I probably should have gone with the how, real cards. How festive! <laughs> Where did you find this joke, or did you just? Know I it? just I googled Victorian puns, oh. so that was a Victorian pun. Oh, really? So, oh, so there are, the soup's a... come out the saucepan. There's a leak in it. <sighs> so there's tendrils of truth. There's in tendrils there, but... of truth, but yeah, that card doesn't exist. <laughs> well, what a shame. <laughs> well, you're not getting one this year then. <laughs> Okay, well, that was a nice fact of um, kangaroo Christmas cards. <laughs> um, yeah, I kind of feel like I should have read up on Christmas cards or something. I kind of feel it's, like I... it's an obvious choice. Yeah, I don't know why we've never done it before. And it's more festive than reindeers on some <laughs> Yes, that is true. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I, we've kind of touched on all the kind of story that from an old Christmas episode there. Uh, mm. But uh, can you remember a few Christmas episodes ago, you had a story about a lady called Marjorie Byes. <laughs> this would be BS, I think. <laughs> Who was uh, struck dumb by a UFO in, <laughs> in the middle yes. of the yes. <laughs> sleepy Wiltshire countryside. <laughs> yes. That was true. It was true, yeah. So uh, I remember, because I, I went back and listened to a couple of old episodes in preparation for this, and you were absolutely desperate to shoehorn in a sort of spooky Christmas story <laughs> this year. So, uh, and that's the one that you came up with, which was <laughs> sort of UFO sighting. Um, so I went kind of out of my way to find some spooky bits Ooh. and bobs. So I've got some spooky Christmas folklore. You've re- we've really switched this yeah. year. You're, you're doing the bonus facts, the spooky facts. I know, yeah. Hey, it's all changed after these three years. <laughs> so uh, some kind of old folklore traditions that could, mm. were kind of quite macabre, I guess. Uh, there was a, There's an idea in uh, English folklore that it's unlucky to take holly into a house before Christmas Eve. So if you want to use mm. holly to decorate your house, you need to do it on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Mm. Uh, if not, there'll be a death oh, in the geez. family. But when I was looking into this, so in some counties, it's the other way around and you've got to bring all the holly in before <laughs> then. And if you bring it in after Christmas Eve, then you'll get bad luck. Can you just leave the holly outside? Yes, yeah, so just don't just, use just the holly. Don't, don't yeah, risk it. That's what I would say. Um, there's a thing called the Devil's Knell. Have you heard of this? Ooh, it rings a vague bell. So there's an idea that um, when Jesus was born at Christmas, obviously, the devil died at the same time. And so on Christmas Eve night, a bell has to be rung in the church mm. called the Devil's Knell. And that keeps him out of the way. It keeps him kind of dead. But there's a place uh, in Dewsbury in Yorkshire where um, a tradition has emerged 
that they ring the bell for every year since Jesus was born oh. <laughs> on Christmas Eve night, which probably a thousand years ago was probably not so bad an idea. And now we're in 2023. <laughs> yes. So they, uh, it has to be timed perfectly so mm. that the last ring, like the 2023rd ring, is mm. exactly at midnight. God, imagine if you lose count. I know, yeah. So they, apparently they take it quite seriously. Jeez. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a, a tradition down there. There was a belief once that if you lit a candle on Christmas Eve, if it went out, uh, there would be a death. I know, yeah, it's pretty pretty brutal. And how about this one? There is, apparently, a tradition that uh, Christmas Eve is so sort of reverent Mm. that even cattle recognise the importance of the occasion. And at midnight on Christmas Eve, uh, align themselves east to west (laughs) and then kneel down. Uh, to sort of honour the birth of Jesus Um, and also they are apparently gifted the ability to talk (laughs) in in this hour (laughs) this isn't even yes this is true Uh, but anyone who overhears what the cows are saying to each other will perish And so I can, I can only imagine what thrilling conversations two cows well, will have. I can tell you one oh. one bovine conversation here. <laughs> here so there go. was a farmer in uh, Nova Scotia, apparently. So mm. this this tradition kind of crossed the Atlantic. Um, out, it was just sort of curiosity got the better of him one night. He went out to his went out to his barn at uh, at midnight, and there's all of his cows kneeling down, mm. and he sort of sneaks in and he looks at them to kind of you know try to listen and <laughs> yeah. tries to tries to, <laughs> tries to eavesdrop, tries to cows drop, and one of the cows turns around and looks at him and says, "Tomorrow we will be drawing wood to make your coffin." <laughs> <laughs> and you know what happened? He dropped down dead. <laughs> how, how did we know what, that's what the cow said if he's dead? I don't know. Maybe maybe he went home and sold someone and then he died. I don't <laughs> know. So you'll never believe this. <laughs> yeah. Those cows are making a coffin for us. And then he died. Yeah, yeah, you never know. So yeah, that, and that's a genuine story that's that's been recorded somewhere. Jeez. Yeah. But Sorry. I have another sort of spooky story mm. from kind of Christmas folklore. And this is the SOBS. Yes. The Hlangothlin Pale Man. Well, you're sitting right there. But... <laughs> <laughs> surname Jones. Uh, yes. Well, well, <laughs> very... surname, yes. Well, surname, very uh, So Yeah, of course I've heard of him. Yes. I do a podcast with him. <laughs> and a new nickname was born. <laughs> um, okay, so this is the story. Mm. Uh, so the the kind of the the story behind the pale man. Well, first of all, Llangollen is a town in North Wales, quite near the border with England. Mm. And there's a tradition that on Christmas Eve night, from eleven till twelve, four people from the town uh, light lanterns, like light burning torches, mm. and they go and stand in the northernmost, easternmost, southernmost, and westernmost part of the town. Okay. And they have to stand there and keep the torches burning for the full hour. Mm. And this is to keep out the quote-unquote pale man. Who's the pale man? Well, it's it's not me, unfortunately. <laughs> there are some versions of this that say that it's just the devil, uh, but there are other stories that say that he's the, the ghost of a local landowner mm. um, who apparently either committed suicide on Christmas Day or one of his servants was accidentally killed 
hmm. in something that he'd done. I don't know what it was. Maybe he like f- f- made him fetch something and he f- fell down a well or something. <laughs> I don't know. That's and, a terrible. <laughs> yeah, this is BS, is. right? BS. So he was driven mad with guilt and now hmm. he kind of haunts the, the kind of countryside around the town or whatever. So this is the idea. They, they go and stand in the corners of, of the town with these burning branches to keep this guy out. Uh, and if one of the torches goes out, then, then the guy will come back. The mm. pale man will come back and will curse whoever sees him on Christmas mm. Day morning. Uh, and the curse will be maintained on that person or on whoever's seen him until there's a death in the town. What does the curse do as well? I think it's just sort of like malevolence. It's just sort of like bad luck. Mm. You'll just stub your toe when you get out of bed. <laughs> well, yeah. You might get a really bad cold. <laughs> you fall down the well with that fall down the well. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. So anyway, this this is quite an old tradition. I don't know whether they still do it now. But it took a rather sinister turn mm. in 1860. Mm. Uh, when, what happened? Really bad winter storm. One of the torches blew out. <gasps> so the curse is like potentially back on mm. so the next morning everyone in the village is sort of a buzz going oh the pale man what if he's turned <laughs> up so they all go off to um church mm. for to have christmas masks and everything's fine no one's seen the pale man no one's still don't buried the congregation start filing out right towards the end of the service some of the people report seeing the pale man mm. in the corner of the churchyard mm. and there's about a dozen people report seeing this person so they're now going which of us has got the curse? Which one saw him first? Which mm. one of us did he look at? Whatever it might be. The priest's there as well, thinking, who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? Throwing buckets of holy water on everyone. <laughs> Salting the air. Just hoping for the best. <laughs> so everyone's kind of a bit on edge, thinking, mm. you know, who's been cursed. Days start to go by, nothing kind of too untoward's happening. Mm. Until shortly into the new year, on January the 5th, the priest becomes quite poorly. So he can't deliver the epiphany mass mm. uh, so the following day a new uh, vicar or a vicar rather from a neighbouring town around called Father Timothy H- Hopeside or Hopeside or something mm. he's brought in Father Hopeside and he delivers the service and everyone's still sort of going on about oh you know have you seen the pale man what's going on has anyone seen the pale man <laughs> this people's chatter <laughs> so afterwards the, he's now standing at the church gate mm. and he said like, what's this pale man that everyone's talking about so they relate the story to him and he goes oh that's interesting because on the way in from the other village I saw someone with a very long white beard mm. in the middle of a field on the way here and I just thought that's a bit unusual but I, I, I don't know maybe it was this pale man and they're like oh father oh, you know <laughs> oh it's all all kind of going around the village what happens he ends the mass walks back in the church drops down dead no more father hope side curse is lifted curse is lifted mm. so that was in 1860 which was the last time that one of these lanterns blew out apparently oh so is the Clangothlan pale man is this a true legend I think or not you googled welsh village names <laughs> and you've made this up completely <laughs> <laughs> i think you put just enough substance in there mm-hmm. i think that sort of tradition standing at each northernmost the most whatever corner yeah. of the village that that sounds believable mm-hmm. but i think you've not given enough background of the ha- where is this Langothlan pale man come from that usually these sort of legends are a bit more concrete they've usually got something oh. more behind them well uh, the the identity of the pale man mm. is is kind of known about if it's that kind of landowner or whatever mm. i don't know who came up with the idea of 
holding a bear with festive torches. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing it's a pretty old kind of myth. Mm. I also, you you dropped in another vicar's name. Yeah. That, oh, I can't pronounce this vicar's name. Tim Hopeside. Hopeside. I think you're deliberately pretending you don't know how to pronounce that because you've made that name. Have up. I? Uh, this is so annoying. <laughs> well, yeah, Father Timothy Hopeside, Hopeside, something like that. You've you've Googled unusual villages and unusual names. There's nothing unusual about Langothlin. It's a <laughs> nice little and town. And you've even practiced it. Yeah, I had to look up how to pronounce that when I read it. Yeah. Mm. I'm going to call BS on this one. Okay. Final answer. Okay. Father Tim Hopeside was not struck down by the pale man. He was not. That story... BS. <laughs> I knew it. it, it I got a, I just got a sense of where you Googled. <laughs> yeah, like... I was like, I'll pick a village. And that one came to mind. And you know the name Tim Hopeside? Mm. It's an anagram of I made this up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God I didn't fall for I that one. Yeah. I'd have never. It's like Tim oh. Hopeside. I came up with that. Not, that's not a name. Oh, thank God for that. Um, but yeah, no, I made that up. I was quite proud of that story when I made it up. It's um, good. I like the spookiness of it. Yeah. Uh, full points for yeah for going down the spooky route. But no, that I made that up. <laughs> but that puts us on three three for our final. Oh, again, facts. we might as well not bother. <laughs> <laughs> again, just shut the podcast off, people. See you next year. So, well done to me for seeing through a ridiculous story. <laughs> and an anagramic name. <laughs> Stick to your literature facts, Paul. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. Don't you be stepping in my spooky world. Lesson learned. <laughs> but I'm going to finish on a little section I like to call Christmas with Kings and Other Oddities. Oh, okay. This, this is also the title of the new podcast that you're launching. <laughs> <laughs> it's my autobiography title, actually. <laughs> it started off, basically, I was looking at things... That happened on Christmas Day, basically. Oh, okay. And it turns out most of them were done by various kings of England over the centuries. Right. So I've got a few facts on there. Uh-huh. And we're going to finish with a king fact as well. Okay. But before we get on to the kings, this is the other oddities part mm-hmm. of this section that I've cobbled together mm. five minutes before we started to record this. It's <laughs> <laughs> basically... It's usually me that makes them on the day. <laughs> One of the interesting things that happened on Christmas Day in 1938 mm. off the coast of South Africa was a fisherman caught a coelacanth. Oh, the prehistoric fish. Exactly. So the oldest fossils for coelacanth are 410 million years old. It's mad. And they were thought to be extinct 66 million years ago. But the fact that they found them living off the coast of South Africa in mm. the 30s, they've since found them off the coast of Kenya, uh, Tanzania and Mozambique. Oh, wow. Since then. So that was like a lost species back from the dead. That is mad. But the most interesting thing about the coelacanth is, again, you'll really relate to this. (sighs) I forgot you had had a catchphrase. (laughs) On two elements, you're going to relate to this. Mm -hmm. So the brain casing, it contains 98.5% fat (laughs) and and only 1.5% brain tissue. I mean, so it's it's a little less fat than you've got in your brain casing, but uh, I suppose, I mean... <laughs> Been prepping jokes. A kindred spirit. <laughs> but uh, jokes aside, it's a very interesting, ancient, ancient animal and how yeah, they're true. built differently. That's but, insane that, that its head's that fatty. Don't yeah. make a joke out of that. <laughs> the, uh, although apparently the coelacanth are mostly inedible due to uh, the strong laxative effect that they have. So again, just like most <laughs> of your... 
most of your cooking as well, Paul. So I was going to can... say this sounds like the voice of experience. <laughs> <laughs> when you were on holiday in the Indian Ocean, you didn't, <laughs> like, didn't indulge. Of... <laughs> have you got any coelacanth on the menu? I do love them. <laughs> <laughs> they are, I do love them. They are 410 million years old, Mr. Evanson. So that was the... So basically, like I said, I was looking at what happened on Christmas Day. This is where we get to the king's part. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Charlemagne was crowned the Holy Roman Emperor in 800 oh. AD. Uh, William the Conqueror was crowned King of England. We've had this before, yes. Yes. And um, the the interesting thing on William's coronation was... Mm. Um, the as the nobles were shouting their oaths in the church, mm. the guards outside thought it was a, a Saxon rebellion, so they started to burn down the surrounding buildings. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bad day at the office. <laughs> I know. And apparently, William the Conqueror was terrified. He thought, like he thought. There was a rebellion outside the church. Oh, my And that's Lord. why the buildings are on fire. That's so. a breakdown of communication right there. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, another interesting moment, uh, Henry II. Mm-hmm. So it was during his wars in Ireland in the 1170s. So mm-hmm. he, he was basically, he'd conquered an area around Dublin. And he, he was oh. trying to impress the local nobles this Christmas. Right. So he built a winter palace in Dublin. He invited a lot of subjugated nobles to the palace for Christmas dinner. Right. So you know what? Well, I'll kill them with kindness. I'll make a, I'll put a feast on for them. Okay. He had um, peacock, geese, um, cranes, swans, partridge, whole feast put on. Mm-hmm. But uh, the Irish nobles refused to eat anything in protest because he's a subjugating yeah. conqueror. So they were, force, yeah. So they, were, they deliberately went... To, and then sat in silence. Oh. So it's already... Hey, this, is, this, is, this is an awkward Christmas. Yeah. But you know what he did after that? <sighs> he pulled out his literal trump card mm-hmm. because he brought his his entertainer, Ronald the Farter, which I think you know about. I think it might have been a Haggard Hawks fact. Yes. yes. So he thought, right, I'll lighten the mood, brings Ronald the Farter out. He mm-hmm. performs his famous um, one jump, one whistle, one fart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't famous of course <laughs> everybody knows it it doesn't say how this went down with the Irish nobles but I would like to think at least one person was creased but true laughing. it might Just... have put them off their food <laughs> which they were refusing to eat anyway but true but I'd like to think someone thought that was hilarious one jump one whistle one fart yes so, you know there's a talent I mean farting on command if that was still <laughs> if you could still make a living off that today that would oh, be you hey, Paul you I mean, sign me up <laughs> you could get it's exactly it's perfect for vegetarians like yourself <laughs> but uh, it doesn't say how the dinner ended it's kind of it ends there but again, I would like to think mm. it cheered someone up. I was going to say it petered out, but that, that's that's too 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 <laughs> obscure a joke. It is. Yeah. And incidentally, Henry II also had another Christmas Day incident the year before in 1170. <laughs> much luckier. This actually, the famous "Who will rid me of this turbulent priest?" Oh, was yes, of apparently course. said on the previous Christmas Day. So oh. Henry II doesn't have a lot of luck. At Christmas. He's got Thomas and Becca there, he just gets the fart around. <laughs> He's right. I've accidentally had the Archbishop of Canterbury killed. <laughs> Where's on. Ronald the farter? Just fart in front of me, make, make me laugh. <laughs> Do your jump and then whistle a bit. <laughs> Cheer me up, Ronald. <laughs> you know, Ronald was granted swathes of land. I See, um, imagine you, that you were like a serf living on the land owned mm. by a man who professionally farted. <laughs> You'd probably kill yourself. True. Oh, you no. You'd maybe move. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, 
<laughs> have a little self-respect, <laughs> Ronald. But no, like he was granted for his services to the crown. He was Ronald was wow. given swathes of land. He had a very successful later life. Uh, wife, lots of kids. Uh, after his talent wins slightly. <laughs> After he could, well, actually, as he got older, you'd think he'd be farting more. But uh, maybe not jumping so high. That's the problem. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, but the Christmas fact, the Christmas King fact, I want to end. Okay. On. <clears throat> so it's a it's a short poem, and I want you to tell me: <laughs> Did I write this poem? You've written it. <laughs> or did A. A. Milne write this? Oh, poem? Oh, okay, Mister uh, Winnie the Pooh. Exactly. So okay. it's a poem about King John. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're ready. King John was not a good man. You've written this. <laughs> and no good friends had he. He stayed in every afternoon, but no one came to tea. <laughs> and round about December, the cards upon his shelf, which wished him lots of Christmas cheer and fortune in the coming year, were never from his near and dear, but only from himself. So it's a poem about King John sending cars to himself. Oh. Did I write this or did A.A. Milne write this? So, okay. Why King John? Because he was a very unpopular king. Yeah, but if if this were written by A.A. Milne, mm. why has he got it in for King John? Was this part <laughs> of a collection of poems about kings? I don't know. Maybe he was just bored and he wanted to write a Christmas poem about King John. Not uh, So this writing... wasn't part of like a broader work about the history of Britain or anything? It could have been. He I just wrote it about King John. Yeah. The actual King John, Magna Carta King yes, John. Yes, Magna Carta King John. Obviously, he didn't get any Christmas cards cause, because they didn't exist. Because we, as we know, it was Michael Myers from Halloween <laughs> sent the first Christmas card in 1611. To King James. <laughs> um, okay. Now, the poem was terrible. <laughs> uh, Excuse me, are you calling A.A. Milne that... terrible? <laughs> Beloved author A.A. Milne, you're, you're offending here. Or are you, are you offending me? Did I write this? I, I could 100% believe you wrote that because it was garbage. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we, we'll let the listeners judge. I mean, the sort of half rhymes, the kind of bad scansion in the middle, <laughs> the overall theme, the fact that it makes no sense. You could have written that, yeah, of course you could. <laughs> but, I mean, I, if Ian Milne did write this, you're not giving me any reason why you wrote it or whether it was part of any larger he work. He just liked writing poems, <laughs> I assume. I mean, you're an author. What what inspires you on a day-to-day basis? Uh, checks. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> Paying the rent. Paying the rent. Keeping the lights on. Yeah. Um. Okay. And the flip side of that is... If you, because I keep getting you with poems and songs mm. and things that I've written, so I could see this as being one of our classic yes or yes vengeance facts, which I've tried a few of yes. in the past and been unsuccessful. And now you've tried to get me with a poem. Mm. If that were the case, I could completely think that you'd written that. Yeah, um, it's an excellent poem. <laughs> and then you would retrospectively go right. What author <laughs> could I attribute this to? <laughs> I, it's got to be a kid's author because the poem's not good enough. <laughs> like, I can't say that Keats wrote that. <laughs> it's got to be, like, you're like one step up from Dr. Seuss. <laughs> so, actually, you know, the more I think about it, the more I think that's what's happened. You've written this, and then you've went, who, what poor soul, who was a better writer than I ever could be, 
can I attribute this awful So you think to? the line, King John was not a good man and no good friends had he. I mean, the fact that if you have written this, that, the fact that you've done this little switch around of the syntax, that makes mm. sense. But then you, it's like you rhymed he with friends coming to tea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm saying you rhymed it. I think I've already convinced myself you've written it. Can, actually, you know, I haven't said that. No, let, can you read the poem again, please? <clears throat> Because it was so good, I want to immerse myself in its glory. This is where every listener immediately turns off. Yes, if, skip ahead for ten seconds. <laughs> King John was not a good man, and no good friends had he. He stayed in every afternoon, but no one came to tea. And, round about December, the cards upon his shelf, which wished him lots of Christmas cheer and fortune in the coming year were never from his near and dear but only from himself you know actually now you've read it again the rhyme scheme is so bizarre i think maybe this is a genuine poem because you've got the sort of couplets at the beginning and then you've got this kind of extended little triptych of lines that sort of vaguely rhyme with year are you saying I'm too stupid to even get this level of No, I'm, I'm thinking, actually, you know what? <laughs> as, as awful a poem as that is, and as ludicrous as it is, yeah, maybe Emil did write that. Just for a little throwaway, fun, flippant children's verse. It's... I'm going to say that's true. Final answer? Yes, that's a real poem by A.A. Milne. That poem was proudly written by A.A. Milne. <laughs> <laughs> Well done, oh, Paul. God. I thought I deliberately picked that because I thought that... You know what? I could have written that. Yeah. I, I mean, it's not the best thing I've ever heard. And still, still I can't get you with one of these poems. That's <laughs> one day. That's true. One day oh, well, that was it. Yeah, that was a good fact. You're so nearly happy with that. I think, actually, if I hadn't asked you to read it again, I hadn't noticed that <sighs> rhyme scheme, you might have got me. Mm. So you know what you need to do next time, then, is write a poem with a more complex rhyme scheme. <laughs> come out with some, like, some perfect poem. <laughs> it's like, like absolute world-class I, I become poet laureate off the back of it or something, just because I'm trying to convince you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the um, you know, 2024, anything's possible. <laughs> oh, here we come. Right, so last fact Ooh. of the uh, 2023 Christmas special. So, we've covered a lot of kind of Christmas traditions and folklore and bits and bobs, mm. uh, not just in this episode, but over the years, mm. I guess, that we've been doing Christmas ones. Uh, but one thing that's not really ever come up is mumming. Ooh, this rings a big Christmas bell. mummers. Mm. Uh, which, if you don't know what I'm talking about, mumming is kind of, it's almost a sort of Morris dancing adjacent mm. kind of entertainment. It's not just done at Christmas, it's also done at sort of Easter and May Day and kind of festive days and things like that, where people in a sort of local village uh, will come together in costumes and perform some sort of musical play or some sort of entertainment, or they'll go uh, door to door and sort of mum for the... 
<laughs> entertainments and, and get little treats and things. And there are uh, versions of this. I th- always thought that it was because it's very Morris stancy that it was probably mainly like a kind of Celtic-y thing. Mm. Um, but actually, it's sort of quite widespread all across Europe, the idea of going mumming and mm. versions of it all over the place. But I've got some versions of it from uh, the UK. There is one in Lincolnshire, which is a sort of reenactment of um, George and the Dragon. Mm. Um, but the version of this that I found, which is from the 19th century, it calls it George and the Mechanical Wild Worm. <laughs> it's a, well, worm is an older word for, for a dragon. For a serpent, yeah. yeah, yeah. And there's one from um, Sussex, which is seven characters, seven mummers. At Christmas, one of them is Father Christmas. One of them mm. is the personification of Yuletide. Uh, then there's a captain, uh, the king, a Turkish knight, a soldier, a doctor, and a character called Little Johnny Jack. Ooh. who is the last one to turn up and when he turns up the entertainment comes to a close well it's a bit like you turn at the pub she's <laughs> <laughs> always there to bring festivities to an end right, right. little little yeah. pony jones but uh, sort of adjacent to this because mm. I was looking at these kind of festive entertainments and things and mumming although they're very kind of folkloric there's nothing too yes be yesy about them mm. until I stumbled upon the one you made up. <laughs> a, a form of festive entertainment. So I'm going to talk to you about a festive sword dance Ooh. that is performed, or is it, <laughs> in uh, parts of the North Country. So anywhere kind of between the Humber and the Scottish borders, basically, mm. this this entertainment is from. Um, here's the thing. Uh, there are two types, two main types of sword dances, one of which is solo, which is the Scottish type where the person puts their sword on the ground and dances over it. Yes. Um, but there's also one called Hilt and Point, which is where you get multiple dancers together and they all have swords. And it's a sort of country dancing thing. They all touch touch tips <laughs> and dance <laughs> in a circle. Yeah, and sword dancing as a form of entertainment goes back well over a thousand years. The oldest record of a Scottish sword dance is from the 13th century. So it's a very old entertainment. I was going to ask if you knew where it came from a why I'd imagine it's I would, well go I was kind of reading up it was almost a sort of like a war dancey sort of thing it's mm. a sort of show of weaponry and, and that kind of thing mm, um, but uh, yeah the solo ones and the sort of dancing over your swords I don't know maybe a kind mm. of celebratory thing I mm. don't know um, but the one that I'm going to tell you about is a specific <clears throat> festive sword dance oh god performed at Christmas time BS in the north of England <laughs> by nine uh, dancers uh, there are well no there are nine people involved but there are five dancers mm-hmm. and then two clowns called <laughs> this is BS Tommy and Betty <laughs> this is absolutely BS a fiddler and then someone who's just listed as a clothes carrier who I'm guessing is just the sort of person like a, a, okay. an, an attendant is there as well uh, would you like to know what they're wearing <laughs> oh please do tell so, Tommy the clown mm. is wearing a flowery chintzy robe he has a <laughs> oh, yes. He has a taxidermied fox's head on top of his head as, <laughs> as a hat. And then the, the pelt of the fox as a, a kid. Fo- a fox with a notoriously small head. <laughs> is it, is it? it would look like he's got a midget gem on his on his head well, or something. Maybe. And Betty or Bessie, the clown, mm-hmm. as he or she is also known, is wearing a a, a women's crinolines. Mm-hmm. And a beaver fur hat. <laughs> uh, the dancers are much more subtly attired. They're, they are just wearing red and black striped breeches. This, ah, this has got to be BS the, now. The rest... You've taken the Newcastle United colours. <laughs> <laughs> red and red and black breeches. That's fine. And then, uh, but they're all decked out with ribbons, and their hat is sort of covered in trailing coloured ribbons. Mm. 
Uh, and the five dancers are each playing um, a different character. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is the king, King George, as it was when this oh. first entertainment was written. King down. George the Witch. One? I'm guessing King George the Third. Mm. This goes back to the 1700s. Mm. Uh, the squire's son, then Little Foxy. <laughs> that's your, that's a name you like to to use as well. The King of Sicily. <laughs> And last of all, a pitman, just a, just a minor. <laughs> oh, okay. It's a minor with an ER and an, an, an mm. OR. And so the entertainment begins uh, with... Well, um, if you can call it entertainment, <laughs> I mean, something's happening here. The rigmarole begins with the clown. <laughs> this this display. <laughs> Tommy the clown kicks things off by... <laughs> By driving the way of the crowd, because this is terrible. <laughs> so it, he introduces each character in turn with a song. <laughs> oh, so each character comes out, and so he introduces the king and the squire's son, the little foxy. <laughs> and he, each character has their own introductory number. You know, it's it's kind of like Chicago. How long does this go on for? <laughs> Quite a long time. Uh, I won't read all of the songs out. Mm. And then once he's introduced all of the characters, the last one being the Pitman. Would you like to hear the Pitman's song? Oh, here we go. Now, the next that I call on, he is a Pitman bold. He works. He works all day below the ground. <laughs> B, this is exactly the same as my last fact, only to keep him from the cold. <laughs> Yes. Okay. Well, anyway, after after the five characters have all, have all been introduced, Tommy the clown calls on the fiddler to begin playing, and he says, "Now, fiddler, there, <laughs> take up thy fiddle, play the lads their hearts' desire, or else we'll come and break thy fiddle and fling it on the fire." <laughs> So that that and then the the dancing commences. So the the five dancers put their swords up, linking and touching tips, and form a knot. It's called, and then they dance around in a circle, and they're doing all doing all of the business. And then the music stops, and uh, either the other clown Betty comes out, or the clothes character who's called Alec <laughs> comes out, and uh, hands the the king's sword to the squire. Squire hands his to little Foxy, so they, they swap this is, swords. This is so convoluted. Um, this might be true. And then once everyone's got the other person's sword, they commence dancing again. <laughs> the crowd's already killed themselves by this point. Um, and the, 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 the repeat the dance, and then at the end of this round, that that's the entertainment completed, and and the uh, to a collective the, sigh of relief to the to the festive is performed on Christmas Eve, I should say. The festive sword dance is uh, is complete. There are there are versions of this where characters involved in the dance are slightly different. So it's not it's not little, not not famous little Foxy <laughs> or a- Alec the clothes carrier or <laughs> Barry the pitman or whatever it was. Sometimes there is a swine. In Involved. Oh, um, in, I don't know who t- who sort of sits this one out and, and is replaced by a pig. But it, the, that person is rather than being dressed in the same costume as the others, will have a, um, a piece of a stalk of hay in their mouth, uh, either to because, represent the because pigs love just chewing on hay. Well, it might be either that it's meant to represent the meeting hay or that the the hay stalks are supposed to look like whiskers. 
Like, so they've only given him one. Boar's, boar's whiskers. Um, but yeah, that that's just one other version of this same dance. The, the entertainment <clears throat> as a whole of this lovely festive group sword dance is still the same in, in effect. And so you say... This is local to our region? It actually is, yes. I found... And I've literally never heard of this well, in my entire life. Well, I found reference life. to this being performed in... Uh, in your mind. Dur- Durham <laughs> and Hortonley Spring. Oh, this is... Hortonley Spring is a town in the uh, sort of bottom end of Sunderland, for anyone this, listening. This has to be BS <laughs> from start to finish. Like, I, there was a second I was convinced, like, this is such a convoluted setup. Mm-hmm. That maybe, maybe it might just be true. I mean, the pale man, that was quite a convoluted story. But, so the f- five dancers, they're just dancing independently while these other four random characters yeah. are doing their entertainment. Yeah. So little Foxy with his bagpipes or whatever he's got. No, little Foxy is one of the dancers. He's got his sword. Mm. Uh, there, so there's a musician. There's a, a sort of an equipment carrier. Two clowns and five <laughs> dancers. Betty. Tommy and Betty. Oh, I, I think you've, you've taken Tommy the Trumpeter, a beloved childhood entertainer in the Northeast, and applied him to this fact of fact in inverted commas. Okay. This is it. I don't even know how to how to interrogate this. I mean, it's, 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 it's just some traditional. Festive when, did, when did it start? What's the context of it? I don't, Why are these yeah. characters? Why I, the Pittman? <laughs> well, Pittman probably because it's a big mining region up here. Was it a big mining region in the seventeen hundreds? Though was that not more until I don't know. You, you, you're the one who had facts about coal ships, was... <laughs> which is which makes me think this is BS because I'm sh- while there were mines in the seventeen hundreds, it was much more agrarian the northeast back then. I would imagine and a clown, a fox. So he's got foxy. a little. He's got a fox's head. A, f- a fox's... Foxes have got tiny heads. Foxes. <laughs> like, it's not like it's not like a a Roman velite with a no with a it's wolf's. Not skin on top yeah, of his head. like a huge animal it's, It hat. would look ridiculous. A tiny fox Well, he's head. a clown. <laughs> it would be terrifying for children. Well, well, clowns quite often are. Right. I think this is BS. I, 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 listen, you <laughs> have cobbled this together out well, of nothing. Why Why is this happening at Christmas? Well, I don't know. Maybe is it, well, It's like the sort of mumming entertainment. It's just a sort of local festive entertainment. You've literally Googled mumming, mm-hmm. couldn't find anything with enough substance for a fact, <laughs> and you've just cobbled this together in a coffee shop this morning, is what you've done. And that is my final answer, Jones. <laughs> okay. BS. Tommy Betty and Little Foxy and the King of Sicily. They've never existed. Why Sicily? It's like you can't answer any of these questions. It's, it's the, I, the entertainment as a whole. Just... I swear to God, if you get me with another little poem thing, and I'm what did you this, think of the poem? It was awful. <laughs> that King John one was better. Well, at least that was a real author. <laughs> You're not a real author. <laughs> All right, okay, you're going BS. Like BS. All okay. The way. That entire story, mm. that entire entertainment mm. is true. No! <laughs> yeah, all of it. Little Foxy, the King of Sicily. What the drugs little... were people on when they came <laughs> the up with this? The little little fox. Foxy. The Betty. Fox hat. Betty. Betty the Clown. Yeah. The... That poem was awful. I mean, there are other ones. I don't want to hear them. I, I haven't, <laughs> I, you'll be glad to know that I hadn't written those down. Oh, thank God. Yeah, the throw the fiddle on the fire. Yeah, it's all true. Hey. Yeah, and there used to be a festive sword dance, even performed like up here in Sunderland. When did they stop? 
I don't know. I mean, maybe it needs to be restarted. Mercifully, before I was born, <laughs> thankfully. They were waiting for you to come back to do it. <laughs> That'd be perfect as little Foxy. <laughs> or Betty. <laughs> yeah, completely true. Yeah, festive sword dancers. Well, Jones, that puts you on five points to my three. Oh, I've maintained my record of always winning the Christmas ones. <sighs> five, three. You know, I've missed this. <laughs> you know, I really haven't. <laughs> Oh, well, I well. think that's all that's left to say then is thank you for listening to our seven seven listeners. Yes. And we'll be back again, possibly at some point. Goodness knows when, perhaps. Maybe in the new year. Yeah. Maybe in 20 new years. <laughs> depending on when we can get our asses in gear. Yes, true. But no. Hope you all enjoyed it. And hope yeah. everyone has a wonderful festive season. Yes, very and Merry Christmas, everyone. Exactly. Merry Christmas to all.